Welcome to the You Can Have It All podcast to create a successful business and a thriving family. I am your host, Mona Tabastoli from Mompreneurs Worldwide. Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Can Have It All. If you're following me on social media, you probably know that I just came back from Mexico City, which was a life-changing experience. This was an intimate trip with nine other fellows at Vital Voices as part of the VV100 initiative. We learned more about measuring our impact and we visited Johnson & Johnson offices to learn about their experience in measuring their impact. We have also visited one of the prisons in Mexico City and did a four-hour workshop with some of the women inmates. I'm definitely going to do another podcast episode all about that experience and how it strengthened my belief in our why at Mompreneurs Worldwide, that empowered mothers raise empowered leaders. Saskia from Rinzerta is one of the fellows at Vital Voices and she made this life-changing experience possible for all of us. I've interviewed Saskia before and you can listen to the full interview on episode 6 on iTunes or any of your other preferred podcast platforms. I have so many inspiring interviews that I'm excited to share with you. This episode is one of those inspirational interviews with Reki Mirtha, the co-founder of Hoshizora, a non-profit organization in Indonesia that empowers more than 2,300 children in 384 schools through education and scholarship. Hoshizora envisions a world in which all children have access to an education and realize their full potential creating a better world to live in. Reki currently is an independent consultant based in Portland and she consults various topics such as strategic planning, change management, organizational development and impact investment in international development field. This is a very interesting interview about Reki's journey and how she founded a successful and sustainable nonprofit. Let's hear it together. Hi Reki, I'm so excited to have you with us today. Hello Mona, how are you? Very good. So we are in Mumbai, arrived yesterday. How was your flight? It was amazing and thanks for having me here. My pleasure. I'm really excited to hear your story. So we have Reiki from Hoshizora and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, personal life, professional life, why you started Hoshizora. I was born in Indonesia. I left Indonesia when I was 16 and ventured the world. I went to school in Japan, Canada and live in the U.S. And throughout those amazing opportunities to learn from other countries, I, I figure out that one of my biggest passion is to empower Indonesian children um, to be amazing leaders. Um, so in 2006, my co-founders and I created Hosi Zora Foundation. It's a scholarship uh, organization that provides giving access to education but not only that, we're actually mentoring and empowering these children through sending them letters, uh, making workshops, giving them training on life skills to make sure that these children um, can be great leaders in the future. So Hosizora Foundation started in Japan from 14 kids and now we are tapping into 2,300 children. Wow in 41 areas in Indonesia um, and these children are attending 484 public schools. Um, we have 27 amazing uh, people working full-time for the organizations and we're just excited to keep growing um, and learning and part of the mission of Hosizora 
is to make sure that every child has the access to education but quality education not only about grade not only about certification but also harnessing that critical thinking problem solving skills and also having good social emotional learning that's really impressive Reki so what is it tell me a little bit about the process do students have to apply for the scholarship and mm-hmm. how do you choose them and for how long do you have them under the program tell me a little bit about your program in general sure Hosizura Foundation opens the scholarship application only once a year okay. and then children have to write a lot in the application because we really want to screen through the potentials of these children so we're not only looking at into obviously we're supporting underprivileged children when they can't support themselves but we also want to see potentials in in their um, writings and schoolwork um, so we interviewed all of them and we do sudden home visitation to verify what's going on in their life and we work with about 200 volunteers um, all over indonesia to make sure that we recruit the right children and once they are in our program we don't leave them. So some of the kids, they started um, in elementary schools and now they're in university level. Wow. Um, so we follow their um, journey for over 10 years. Asizara Foundation itself is a nonprofit organization. Okay. Um, very interesting because I come from a corporate background where everything is for profit. My day-to-day is filled with business strategy and um, for profit um, work and at night time I do this nonprofit work. When I decided to come back to Indonesia, I learned that there are a lot of strategizing that needs to be done even in doing nonprofit work. I am very happy to work with Hosuzura Foundation right now that is sustainable. Uh, we no longer lean on grants, but we're creating program, we're creating mm. shared values with big organizations such as Unilever um, to create impact in the world. So tell me, how do you work, for example, with organizations such as Unilever and how can they support your organization? So nonprofit work has been shifted from grant and sort of free money to just basically creating impact. Um, the work used to be corporate CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility. But the past five years, there is a trend that is shifting to creating shared value. Mm. Nonprofit organization, in order to leave, um, they are required to make innovations, to sustain themselves, and creating value proposition for other organizations to work with them. So in 2016, we shifted from writing grants to learn to be sort of like a marketing agency. We know how to deliver impact on the ground. We know how to handle our programs with children that is efficient. We have a lot of value propositions that big organization don't have the time and footing to do this. So we come up uh, in the same level as a partner that, hey, you have a budget to activate your brand Usually you just um, spend it on marketing, on, on TV advertisement and, and all that. But how about if you're activating your brand through making impact, real impact in society with us? So we tailored campaign, uh, we create video advertisement, 
And now we're providing over 100 scholarships for women for university level, for example. Uh, and they see us as, as you know, equal partner. And the fact that if we don't deliver what is promised to this big organization, we won't be able to survive and live. And this partnership is a key to have long-lasting sustainability for a nonprofit organization. It is called nonprofit organization because we're not taking profit and investing it to do different business. We are profiting for us to live and sustain and innovate and creating further impact. And expand, definitely. And this is a true win-win scenario, right? Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, all of these corporates are looking for initiatives like that to support. Definitely. And it's amazing when you find true partners who share the same values. That's, that's a very good example. Tell us about your vision, Ricky. What does an ideal world look like to you? And what is one thing that you would change if you had the power? Um, I'm passionate in seeing people growing. And part of the component of growing is, I think, empathy. And True. that is something that um, very tricky to nurture because you cannot teach someone to be empathic. You need to provide experiences, learning failures for someone to be able to go through a challenge, grow an empathy and share what they learn to others. Exactly. Um, in my ideal world, we live with compassion and empathy and having people have the joy of truly being happy when someone is growing or successful instead of being jealous or um, doing other things that are not necessarily improving the growth. But it's quite utopian in a way. I translate that ideal world into my work. What mm. we're doing with children is we're harnessing social emotional learning in every single children that we're working with. Um, from critical thinking that help your executive functioning brain to grow to problem solving with compassion which means that a child can grow up as a person who can find a solution. But further from that, they can also create impact to help others. So it's not just stopping in solving their own problem, but larger problems as well. And perhaps in a few years when we planted the seed, these children will grow and eventually they'll be a leader and eventually they will do the same for others. Exactly, we share that same value, uh, Reiki, that we say empowered mothers raise empowered leaders. Yes. And I believe we are raising leaders as well. So yes, family is very important, but also other organizations, society in general, being able to empower both girls and boys in our society to become more empowered leaders, that is very important. And your program is open to both boys yes. and girls, right? Yes, elementary to high school program is open for boys and girls, but we started a university level scholarship only for women at the moment. Okay. Um, and this is the first time we initiated this and over a year and a half, I was able to see amazing impact. When we pay attention to every single girls we support and we mentor, it's fantastic. Within six months, they're able to go out in their community and even being a university students, they're creating impact. I think women in a way have this immense power that when they are empowered, just a 10% of empowerment, they'll be able to return it up to 80% to the society. And I've never really seen a difference before. I started this new program, and now 
I was able to see why we need to invest in empowering women. And also in terms of numbers, I believe there are at the moment more, uh, how, how are the numbers in Indonesia? Are there more boys? 60% six girls. At the university. Um, I have to get back to you on that. Um, but women education, oh, okay. An example, there is an area in Indonesia where we give a lot of scholarship and the girls after elementary school, they just refuse to go to middle school. And we, we see this case a lot until the beginning of this year. I was so curious, I traveled there. I went to the rural area, there was no more public transportation. You have to take extra 12 hours on a four wheel to get to the area. When you get to the area, you will see that there are so many mothers and children. I sat down with the elementary school students and I sat down with their mothers. Their mothers are younger than me and their kids mm. are already 12 years old. So we look through our cases. We provide scholarship, we give school uniform, books, anything that they need. They choose not to because the nearest middle school is about two hours walk. And the school is not even complete with math and Indonesian languages, mainly um, religious learning. So a lot of these children decided that it'll be just better for them to quit school and get married at the age of 13 because their mothers had them when they're 13 or 14. This is a cycle that is fascinating for me at the, at the year of 2018. Mm. Um, so we're building a library there. The only thing that we can do at the moment is equipping them with, with books so that they can learn themselves. But um, Every step counts, right? Um, so what would be the solution for that? What, what is your vision? Is, there, is this something that your organization tackles at the moment? Mm -hmm. We provide scholarship uh, for formal education, okay. but the mentoring and the assistantship that we're giving is more focused on capacity building, critical thinking, problem solving, social emotional learning. My passion is to equip every Indonesian children with those skills. So at the end, if they have no infrastructure to go to formal schooling, they can be smart enough to figure out to solve their problem in their society. And do you see any cultural conflicts uh, with their families after they get empowered? Definitely. Uh, one of the biggest thing is start questioning. Mm. Part of the thing that um, help us to be a better decision maker is questioning things and considering things and calculating consequences. But in a culture where questioning is a no-go, it's very challenging. That's why social emotional learning has to come with that critical thinking building. They have to be able to empathize, have the compassion to be able to listen to their male leaders and being smart enough to figure out a way without creating conflict and still have alternative ways in solving their problems. So not only intellectually and cognitively smart, but also emotionally intelligent to be able to, to be resilient when a lot of people are opposing their approach of life. Ricky, tell me what is your why? Mm. Why do you do what you do? I took a lot of detour 
to know what my passion is. Uh, and I'm, I'm feeling very, very lucky to have been given that opportunity to learn about myself. Um, I left home when I was 14 and I started to be very independent financially and living wise for my parents. Um, and when I received scholarship and living in Japan, I took time to come back home every year. In one of the year when we just started the Hoshizura Foundation, um, I took my friend to visit one of the child that we're sponsoring. My friend gave her a white shoes in a box. Mm. A year later, I came back to that place. Um, I saw the kid, she was running around and coming back from school still with the white shoes. And I asked, this is, you know, fairly, you know, dirty, muddy area. How did you keep your shoes white? Are you not wearing it? And she told me, no, I'm, this is the only shoes I have. She took me into her very tiny room and she started washing off the shoes, wiping it, brushing it. Mm. She got all these tools and she spent over 30 minutes and I was just watching her doing that. And I asked her, why are you doing this? Well, this is the only new thing I've ever received in my life. So I'm taking care of it. Oh, wow. And I learned that she never cut off the tag. The tag was still in the shoes and she tagged it in. Wow. Um, and I asked her, why are you keeping the tag? Oh, is it that, you know, important? And she told me, this is a seven year old girl. Hey, a lot of kids here, they never receive anything new. When I receive it first time, I feel loved. I'm not going to fit in these shoes soon. I want to give it to younger child here so they know they are being loved. Wow, that's so powerful. I'm getting goosebumps. Me too. And it's been many years. This happened in 2007. And that changed my life forever. Mm. A seven-year-old whose mother was nowhere, father was nowhere, she's not thinking only about herself. She's thinking above and beyond herself. And I was sort of feeling like slap in the face. I went back to Japan. I literally changed the way I deliver this work. It's not about us being rich enough to help other people. We're lucky enough to be given the opportunity to empower others. But that empowering thing is actually empowering us. We are reminded that we need to be very grateful for every single thing that we have. That we are literally no one and without helping each other, we can't grow. And my concept of unity in humanity was born there. And every single day after that, I cannot put down the fire in my heart. I've worked corporate, I've gone to grad school, I've done, you know, I've tried to be ignorant, but I was woken up every night that this is one of my calling. If there was a child in this world, doesn't matter nationality or anything. If they are there needing someone to acknowledge them, the simplest thing that we can do is to look them in the eyes and say that I'm here for you. And yeah, that's my why. And that's beyond money and financials. Definitely. That's a lot more powerful than that. And I believe there is a paradigm shift here mm -hmm. 
that the people who are actually supporting others, we are the lucky ones to be able, as you rightly mm-hmm. said, have the privilege yeah. to be able to help someone else and the lessons that you can learn from them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. A- and you can learn that lesson from anyone, but definitely the stories that you're sharing, these are the things that sometimes we take for granted. Yes. And we can learn from someone who maybe did not have all of those opportunities, but they have such a big heart that they're already thinking about others. And that is so powerful. Good reminder. Definitely. And tell me a success or failure story that gave you a biggest lesson. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other story from your own personal experiences that taught you something? Yes, and definitely related to my previous story. When you have that fire lit up in you, just like mothers who's working or doctors who's going through borders to help people when you have that fire lit up sometimes it's unavoidable for you to take decision based on that fire you can try to tame it down and not listen to it but you'll wake up in in the middle of the night knowing what you need to do and when that happens sometimes you're swimming against the current not always your partner agree with you, not always your parents agree with you or people around you. And I think being able to recognize that power, even though you're gonna take maybe not so smart decision or going through failures, but if you keep recognizing that fire, I think that is something that will keep you going for a long, long time. And eventually people around you will understand that it is you, it is part of you that cannot be get rid of. And definitely my failure is taking, I wouldn't say failure. I took a lot of detour Mm. to get where I am. And maybe for most people seeing that detour as not so smart decision, leaving, you know, six digit income corporate work, or why would I live in a jungle for a year? Mm. and things that people wouldn't really understand. And I stopped justifying those. When people see that as a failure, I see that as a learning process for me. And I am proud to admit, oh yes, that that was my mistake. Oh yes, I want to try this. Oh yes, maybe it's swimming against the current. But owning that, give me a lot of internal peace even when anybody else everybody else around you are saying no of course i would listen to advice yeah Um, but like i said when you know that is your life calling you do it bit by bit even even when i can't do it i'll just write letters i'll say hi to long-term friends and and sit down and listen to their stories anything that will make me realize that I love seeing people grow and that's the joy and that's the reason I live. I believe we have to redefine failure in general Mm -hmm. as well as something negative because um, we all learn actually a lot more when we fail and when we don't fail it means that we have been in our comfort zone for so long so to be able to take risks to be able to grow we have to go through failure and basically embrace it so I'm, I'm very glad that you pointed that out as well. 
Give me some tips if somebody wants to run a nonprofit organization now. So give us, and you have 12 years of experience, 27 plus uh, employees, and 2,300 children that you have uh, in your organization. So definitely there are things that we can learn from you, Reiki. Give us some tips. Nonprofit organization is definitely tackling, usually are tackling unsexy issues. Mm. So funding is always the problem for nonprofit organization. Um, I am lucky enough to have strong co-founders who are, you know, loyal to go through the thick and thin of nonprofit world. But over time, y'all learn that even in nonprofit world, you need to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And that entrepreneur mindset is not necessarily just making the biggest profit, but it's the mindset to be sustainable, to be able to sustain yourself before you're helping others. Like in the airplane, when the oxygen mask is coming down, they always tell you to put the mask on yourself first yes. before helping others. The same thing, when you run a nonprofit organization, volunteerism is a good first approach to start it. But at the end, if you want to make it more serious, making more effort, people who are running nonprofit organization needs to be appreciated with their skills, time, and everything else. And that's only in investing the human resources. You'll create that bigger impact. So in order to sustain human resources, you need to be smart finding ways to self-sustain yourself and not necessarily leaning on on um, waiting for money to come down. From my experience, Ricky, a um, couple of non-for-profits that I know, the founder or the manager of the organization, they're very passionate about it, mm-hmm. but there's only so much that they can give. Mm-hmm. So they're already giving all of their energy, they're already giving all their time, but the returns are sometimes not big enough for them mm-hmm. to stay in that game Definitely. for a longer period of time. So what is your advice to be able to actually expand and grow and see the impact, not just, the, as you said, the financials, but also to be able to grow so you can have a bigger impact as well? Definitely. And back to that fire in you. Mm. Every co-founder need to understand why they're doing that. And if that reason for doing non-for-profit work is strong enough to get them joy in life, I think they'll come out stronger. And in my case, I find joy in nurturing my team. Um, So when I'm running out of energy, my younger managers have those energy and I'm putting more trust in them. I'm letting them put their color in in growing the organization. And I find immense joy in seeing them changing, growing, making mistakes, growing, stand up, get stronger. And for me, I think that's one of the reasons why I stick up for 12 years now, um, finding that little thing that gives me joy. Uh, And obviously, I understand that the return, if we talk about financial return, it might not be uh, sustainable as we grow older. So Mm. 
being mindful and resourceful in also having that bread and butter to fulfill our um, needs in the same time not leaving the work um, it's important things to go through are you at the moment running both do you have the for-profits organization and the non-for-profit at the same time mm-hmm. um, so we had social enterprise uh, before okay so in Hosizura Foundation we have tried so many different things including shifting running the non-for-profit and then running for-profit enterprise in the same time we've lost focus before we've tried so many different things and now we're coming back to the only vision which is giving access to education and maximizing uh, potential of children now in part of our program right now we we have a program that charge um, middle and higher income children mm. to join some of our program we get profit from there and that profit is immediately supporting other children so there is definitely the the for profit elements to make sure that we can live sustain yeah yeah but not in a way that um shifting too much from the actual vision Ricky, tell me what is your all and when do you feel fulfilled? When do you feel successful? Again, very great question. Um, this will get me reflect tonight. <laughs> um, when I was younger, for me, success is about proofing. Hmm. Proofing that I could get a um, high-paying job, proofing that I can take it 15 hours a day work, you know, proving that... It, a, a woman can be a leader, proving that I'm smart enough to go to grad school. So many proving, proving, proving. And along those lines, um, those expectations that I gave to myself have got me to a point where um, I need to do hardcore reflection. Um, and I took a year off traveling in Latin America to see a different world and exploring different part of the world that I that definitely has a different definition of success. Mm. After through that experiences, now I'm coming back to a very little definition, which is um, my definition of success can only be defined by me. And that is not about proving to me either, but knowing what is my limit and being able to get out of that limit, expanding even 1%, 2%, 3%. So if, for example, yesterday I didn't have a lot of patience in dealing with problems, I commit to myself that my success today will be 3% more patience than yesterday. And those little success has given me great joy in, in life. And I'm not being rushed by society to prove to them what is their success story. And... It changed different perspective. I even see um, things differently with that. And I appreciate definitely other people and their struggles and their hard work in improving their life. Very interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that, Reiki. What is your favorite motto? As of the past few years, I really like uh, to share with people that we need to live more out of intent and less out of habit. Hmm. So for me, it's a great reminder, checking in what is my intention, why am I doing this, why am I talking to you, 
and that will give me opportunity to reflect every single thing that I do needs to be evaluated for the fact that it's it's making impact to other people making impact for myself and if I fall into waking up in the morning doing my routine and started to be a robot then something needs to be changed and you know when I was working corporate life I was easily living out of habit true yeah but tell me actually now that you talked about habits tell me some of the good habits that keep you on top of your game those habits that you invest in yourself in your energy and without them maybe you don't feel at your best give me some mm. tips and some of those routines i think the past seven years actually hiking and climbing trees trees yes <laughs> were the thing that got me through anything the hardest time when I had breakups or challenges or had no money or whatever challenges. What helped me push through mm. was hiking and climbing trees. Now, these days, I don't have as much chance to do that, but still being out in the nature is a great reminder to be grateful for every single thing and, and giving me that mindset to live more out of intent. Nature is truly magical, right? Well, I have never climbed a tree since I've been an adult, but I'm going to try that. I take that as a challenge. Definitely. <laughs> I climb mountains and I hike, but climbing a tree, that sounds exciting now. So I should try that. Thanks. But being part of uh, nature is definitely, it's, it's very magical. It uh, gives you that space to think and become even more humble. Um, it opens your mind, basically. I agree. Thanks for sharing that. Tell me one thing that others don't know about you. That's a hard one. <laughs> All right. Um, I like Vegemite. And Australian <laughs> might be laughing at this. But I found that the taste is, is really good. And it's hard to find Vegemite in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. um, so when, when friends are coming from Australia and they bring Vegemite and I have my toast with it, I, I'm super happy and I found people find it very weird. <laughs> hint, hint to all of your Australian friends. <laughs> they know what to bring for you next time. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Reiki and I are part of this program, Vivilid, as we mentioned earlier. How, how has been your experience, Reiki, in Vivilid in general and white, working with Vital Voices? This is fantastic fellowship. I am very, very impressed because I am in other fellowship and sometimes long distance learning can mm. be very difficult. Sometimes we spend a lot of time in explaining the context, understanding the context, and let alone, it usually takes time for us to get the right advice because a lot of um, other fellowship might not be able to provide as deep learning con content as we delete. Um, I don't mean to compare, but I find that the materials that we delete is giving us in this fellowship is super deep, but general topic that is useful for for nonprofit, nonprofit, exactly. life strategies, and it's just very useful. And um, I love the consistency 
every few weeks we have the webinar even though I cannot join immediately at that time I am able to download the materials learning it and the fact that my team also are interested in loving the materials and can be useful for them uh, for me it's a reflection of of a well-taught fellowship super proud being part of it exactly and the sisterhood that they have created so for example we met each other for the first time in 20 last year yeah uh, in south africa but there was that deep connection definitely right between all the fellows that uh, i believe a lot of especially women leaders can bring to the table it's that we instead of i working together adding value and genuinely wanting to help each other that's something that i find very very powerful i agree with you mona um okay i have to admit before 2016 i only i mostly hang out with guys Mm. i put myself in communities and start start up a world and and learning environment where mainly are men for me it's just a little easier because it's cut to the chase and there is no emotional baggage usually at the back yeah so until 2015 i kind of avoid being in women heavy environment because the emotional part is something that makes me feel funny but we really change it mm. they got the right people the right mindset where none whatsoever it's all about being emotional and and you know things that i would think about sisterhood yeah um i found that the sisterhood that we have right here first of all is non-judgmental I feel like all the leaders here are already going through so much that they know the struggles, they don't judge. Mm. They're just there to support you and share their stories, which um, got me going the past two years when I had a hard time. I do turn to my revealed sister, get connected, even talking in the chat room yeah throughout the webinars it's a refreshment for me definitely getting the right people and not only that they're getting these women leaders to spread that the awesomeness of women leader i i'm just super grateful this is a great program and good emotions i would say like we have good yes. emotions going on definitely <laughs> positivity, positivity is the key yeah. here for sure Tell me the characteristics of a powerful leader. Um, one thing that I learned in this fellowship that I was skeptical, honestly, in the first place was about vulnerability. Mm. That was such a great topic. I came in skeptical and coming out of that course, seeing everything differently. I started approaching my teamwork with that vulnerability. And it's amazing how um, effective it is. I used to hide everything behind and pretend that everything is okay. Now I expose a little bit more of like, okay, I'm struggling on this. Yeah. It's hard to take decision on this. What do you think? And I see my team standing up and coming even stronger and feeling more comfortable in sharing their struggles and overcoming the problem together. It's like magic. I'm very happy that you mentioned that because vulnerability, a lot of people see it as a weakness. 
And what we learned is that it's actually a strength. Mm-hmm. Being able to, giving an example, to make a mistake and then owning it. That mm-hmm. I made this mistake and I'm you know, willing to go through the consequences and I am finding a solution for it. So as simple as that. As simple as owning our mistake is a part of being vulnerable. And that is so powerful. And as you mentioned, sharing the struggles so the team can come together and everybody owns it at that time. So um, that was a very good point that you mentioned. Yeah, I think leadership, you know, in this era has to be shifted more with compassion, empathic leadership. You know, agility also comes from that vulnerability and being able to shift that and see it as opportunity. A lot of the skills that boils down to social emotional learning mm. in a way. Ricky, tell me more about the curriculum of your program. Mm-hmm. Um, so the formal education in Indonesia focus a lot on math and mm-hmm. um, language and science. Um, in a place where everything is still survival, Practical skills is what's needed. The grading system is outrageous in a way that kids are being valued based on their rank, which is concerning. Our curriculum is more focused on the social-emotional learning, which entitles to self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, creating social impact, and responsible decision-making. So slowly, we're approaching mentoring and creating workshop for our children to understand those elements and keep working, improving that. As simple as, for example, emotional literacy. When we know kids are crying, it's not necessarily always about being hurt. It could be loneliness, it could be anger, it could, like, there are many definitions of emotions. When we communicate better with kids, they are more open. Hence, when they recognize their emotion, we will be able to know which part can be supported. This is part of an interaction strategy that we put forward. And definitely, um, it's still far, far beyond what's ideal on social-emotional learning as a theory, but as one of the only, well, one of the few organization that put more effort in, in children's growth in this sense uh, we would like to invite more collaboration so that we can do this more is this something that can be applied to other uh, countries basically and definitely mm. um, anywhere in the world i think children are the same when we don't equip our children with emotional literacy, they won't be able to communicate their basic needs. In that case, they won't be able to also solve the problem you know, in a more efficient way. Um, I think teachers also need to equip themselves with those knowledge so that they know how to handle kids when they are going through problems, especially children at risk. What is next for Reiki and Hoshizora? Um, again, great question. <laughs> uh, for me, it's gen- regeneration. I know myself enough that I won't leave Hoshizora behind. So mm-hmm. it, it will be part of my life. But also to be able to innovate and growing as needed 
and attending to the millennials, um, I have been working on nurturing the younger leaders to take over and creating more impact using their own ways. Um, I'm stepping out of the day-to-day -day operation next year to make sure that I'm giving enough space for my team to experience, fail, grow from that. Um, but in the, in the same time, I am gonna still be monitoring closely, advising, and in leading in some part of it. Uh, the next step is I'm actually eager to find a more efficient way in reaching out to children anywhere in the world and harnessing that critical thinking and problem-solving skills outside of formal schooling. Um, I'm reading up research, I'm, I'm learning about um, what would be the right and affordable way in interacting with children to get to this goal. Um, I'm open to more opportunities um, for people to collaborate and explore ways to tackle this issue. Rehik, thank you so much. This was a very interesting session. I learned a lot from you. And uh, any final words for our audience? Well, thank you for having me here. Um, actually, I'm learning a lot from your questions, and it's a great question. And I would love to hear more from your next podcast as well. Um, one thing I would like to share is when you find that one thing that makes you feel alive and excited to wake up in the morning, have the courage to voice that and stand by it. And even though you can't live it right then, um, slowly going and answering those calling um, might be a good move in life because I greatly feel that I'm lucky to be alive because of that reason that wakes me up in the morning. And I hope you also have a great journey. Thank you life. so much, Reiki. I'm looking forward to our one week of Vivi Lead Fellowship in Mumbai. I'm sure we're going to all learn a lot from each other. And um, thank you again for being here. Thank you so much. Um, have a great day. You too. There you have it. Hope you've enjoyed my interview with Reiki Merto and her journey in running a nonprofit organization and empowering children by giving them access to education. Her why and her passion in making change happen is extraordinary. I have some other amazing interviews with women leaders of Vital Voices that I can't wait to share with you in the future episodes. Have a wonderful day and talk to you soon. Music